Welcome to another Dragonland Saga review episode. It is Kirinor Dark Ember the 30th. My name is Adam, and today I'm reviewing Tasselhoff's Pouches of Everything Revised. That means it's, it's different than the first one that was released. And not just in some of the elements on the cover. Like the insides are actually somewhat different. The most noticeable upon opening is the artwork. It's all original artwork. Before, it was a version that had... Um, artwork taken from previous source books or previous splat books or previous modules. In this particular case, it's all original artwork and it's pretty damn good. All right. So Benjamin, how you doing? Thanks for uh, joining live. I'm going to be giving you uh, my honest review of this. Now, again, this is a fifth edition Dragonlance source book. So going into this, you have to think in those terms. We've had every other edition of source books except for fourth edition for Dungeons and Dragons um, and basic Dungeons and Dragons. And so uh, ultimately when I go in to sort of read this and review it, I'm not thinking of what can they bring to Dragonlands. I'm thinking how can this pay off Dragonlands in a system that does not inherently speak to Dragonlands. And we've seen that evidenced by even Wizards of the Coast, when they're releasing their Dragonlance Shadow of the Dragon Queen uh, adventure module, which has very little bit of sort of background Dragonlance information, that the character classes, the races, they don't get right. <laughs> even some of the historical facts they had to break in order to tell this adventure story, which arguably you could have workshopped it and not had to break any rules at all but they did and that's what we're left with but that means that dragonlance nexus who is the uh, collective author of this tasselhoff's pouches of everything revised gets to let their game design chops get seen and ultimately their chops that have been fine-tuned honed if you will sharpened over years of well extensive player options source book writing and producing and all sorts of other great stuff. So you should go into this before anything else thinking that you're in good hands. You're in hands with people who know the lore inside and out, who love the setting more than any other, and just want to create something that feels like Dragonlance, but it's in fifth edition game mechanics, which again, are different <laughs> and strange. And nonsensical and sometimes. All right. So, Andrew, thanks for joining live. Good to see you. Pat, what's up? How you doing? Ed, hey now. <laughs> I'll try not to cry. Well, I, I do have some critical notes. Um, but above and beyond anything else, I am very pleasantly surprised. I think this is great. I think this is a, a source book that is infinitely more Dragonlance in tone than anything that Watsi put out in their little brief paragraphs and synopses at the beginning of Shadow of the Dragon Queen. So that's a huge thumbs up already. Uh, but again, because I need to be honest and critical, I have to find things to be honest and critical about. And that's what I did. Now, I'm coming to this from as a position of someone who does not play 5th edition. So you may make a very fair argument that my opinion means less than anything. And that's fair. <laughs> I mean, in general, that's fair. When it comes to D D Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, it's definitely fair. 
Um, however, aside from the game mechanics, I do come into this as someone who loves the setting. And so I want to make sure that, yes, the game mechanics do sort of break some fundamental portions of what Dragonlance should be mechanically. Um, how did Dragonlance Nexus come together and try to fix any potential problems the system inherently has or fully utilize the system in order to really pay off Dragonlance. And that is not something that's easily done. Obviously, the IP owners didn't do it. And so for someone else to come in and say, okay, hold my glass, you know, hopefully it's going to pay off. In this particular case, it absolutely does. Okay. First and foremost, this is going to be released officially next week, I think, uh, on the 6th. Is that next week? It should be next week. So on uh, DMs Guild. So go check it out, pick it up as soon as you can, because it is going to be invaluable. If you're running Dragonlance Shadow of the Dragon Queen and you don't particularly like the mechanics in that book, check this out, because it's going to solve all of those problems. So that's the most important part. So again, coming into this and reading it, I'm coming into it knowing a significant amount of information about Dragonlance already. And so when I'm reading this, I'm like, yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, that's the great times. Oh yeah, I, I love that part of it. Or yeah, that was from this obscure book series that no one else read, but you threw it in there. Little Easter eggs like that are really wonderfully thrown in throughout. But if I didn't know anything about Dragonlance, if I came into this and picked this book up for the very first time as my initial exposure to Dragonlance, I would be confused about a whole lot. And not just the game mechanic player options, but like the timeline of Kryn. They did such a wonderful job in this book uh, distilling literally thousands upon thousands of years of history down into a very logical, easy to read, easy to follow and understand timeline. But if you don't know anything about any of these eras, the, the bullet point based version of the retelling means nothing. And so I did come into this because I haven't read every single novel. Wondering, you know, when it gets down to the end of the Age of Mortals, like, what is this all about? Why are you giving me bullet points about goblin nations? I haven't read any of those books. These events mean nothing. Um, there's some events that happen with specific species of dwarves that I read that I didn't know that that's what happened. And so I, I'm not worried about spoilers. What I'm worried about is why it was included and what bearing does it have on the greater world that was the reason you meant you included it in the first place. And so rather than hitting broad strokes to sort of tell a story of Dragonlance, they really went in and gave you some wonderful shavings of books and source books, uh, novels, source books, and um, uh, adventure modules that really flesh out all of these eras. But it might, and, you know, again, what do you got to, I got to be critical. I love it. As a Dragonlance fan who knows a lot about Dragonlance, I think it's great. If I'm coming into this for the first time, it might be a bit overwhelming and I might not even pay attention at all to it. And one thing that's really important about Dragonlance is knowing the history of Dragonlance. That is incredibly important. If you don't understand why the Queen of Darkness keeps trying to get her doggone toes on Kryn 
And all of these dragon wars that are direct results of her efforts, well, then the, the entire source of, of Huma the Dragonbane and uh, uh, Huma Dragonbane and uh, um, the War of the Lands are meaningless because it all has to be contextualized around the gods of Kryn. Um, if you didn't know about the histories, then the cataclysm is just some event that happened hundreds of years ago to you. But the truth is, is it had significant impacts on the world moving forward. And, and especially moving forward as you reflect back on its history, why it happened, how it came about, stuff like that, where if you're just hitting bullet point notes, it may be less meaningful to you. I don't ever recall either, uh, you know, looking into this. And again, these are nitpicky stuff. It's not, this is stuff that's, I'm trying to look at it from a different perspective than my own. And that's why I'm coming up with this stuff. Um, there's a part in this where I, I don't recall it actually talks about um, sort of the, the, the balance factor that is so incredibly germane to Dragonlance as a campaign setting, more so than any other campaign setting I've ever read about before. Um, and that's that there has to be balance in the world. Some of these major world events that happen throughout history are directly because of an imbalance. The Cataclysm, for example. Um, the Third Dragon War, for example. The War of the Lance, for example. I mean, all of these things, there's reasons why they happen, and it's because there must be maintained balance in this campaign world. I don't ever really recall that being mentioned in this um, and if it was, it really did slip by. And for someone coming into this, trying to understand what the core of Dragonlance is, that's a really big one. It, it extends so far beyond just world events into actual organizations of the world. The orders of high sorcery, um, the different orders of knights, you know, in the Age of Mortals. I mean, it becomes a real important aspect rather than just... Well, there's orders of knights for each class alignment or each alignment. No, no, those orders of knights exist for a reason. And their existence affected the world, which then resulted in other orders springing up. And so really diving into that aspect of it, which wouldn't take very long, I would hope, to explain, certainly would give people context to why this setting is so important and why balance is so important to it. Okay, that being said. Um, Green Adara's art is amazing in this. She does really wonderful. Okay, so um, a couple, you know, nitpicky things. I'm a graphic designer by trade. I'm an art director in an agency. Um, there's some editing issues in this that uh, bother me. Probably don't bother anyone else, and no one else would ever think of them. But there's there's widows and there's um, orphans, and I, I don't I didn't notice any runs that just stuck out in my head. But these are typography and layout terms that only mean anything to other designers. Um, there's some formatting issues with paragraphs and, and so every once in a while there'll be words that need a space between them. There needs to be more margin on some paragraphs. It's, it's inconsistent throughout the book. Little stuff like that, that for people like me, drives me insane. <laughs> for the entire rest of the world, you never notice and it doesn't mean anything to you. So some of it you can explain away because layout and page, you know, layout constrictions and stuff like that. Others, there's really no reason for it. And it just means you just have to have a really good editor or editors really paying attention and diving through it. Um, but again, it's not a slight on the work that was done because it's laid out beautifully. I think um, you guys did a really wonderful job at Dragonlance Nexus with that. 
And I think um, the writers really did an exceptional job distilling the different bits of information. Okay, I know I'm leading with a bunch of nitpicky stuff, but that's before I get to the glowing stuff. So it's coming, it's in the mail, so just bear with me here for a second. Um, Michael, thanks for joining live. Good to see you. Chris, how you doing? Goldmoon, what's up? Um, let's see, who else is here? Benjamin, thanks for joining live. Really appreciate you. Okay, so, um, and anyone else throughout the course of this, if you have any questions or comments, throw them up there and I'll, I'll try to address them. Or actually, Edward is in the chat. Uh, Ed, and he, of course, had an, a significant amount of uh, effort put into this. So definitely, he can answer any questions or comments that you might have as well. Um, I talked about it in our live interview about, or it really wasn't an interview, but it was just this sort of discussion about this book in uh, this past weekend on a live stream, um, but they changed races to ancestry. And though it is not a big deal, it is something that was consciously done. And what it does is create inconsistencies in the vernacular used between the game mechanics and game books, like the player's handbook, for example, and this source book. So I could imagine a world where someone reading this would go, well, wait a second, are races. Now, why the change was made, I don't know. I mean, maybe more in inclusive, maybe reducing out language that has been inflammatory in our own world. The truth is, is in the context of D&D, I don't think it matters at all. And I think it should have just stayed as races instead of ancestries. But that being said, anyone coming into this wondering where races are will quickly understand. Just look at the table of contents and you'll make that connection. If you can't make that connection, you probably shouldn't be playing this game <laughs> because it's too complex for you. Um, another part of this, which I thought was strange, is that they talked about ancestries in regards to race, but when it came down to weapons that are tied to those races, they aren't ancestral weapons, they're cultural weapons. And so consistency when it comes to culture is separate from ancestry culture is separate from race. It, it literally is. So why there's differences between the language, I'm not entirely sure. Um, and maybe, you know, you guys can explain it a little bit in the, in the chat here. Um, talk about a huge array of Dragonlance-specific races being thrown in here. Oh, no, I hope I just got a warning from YouTube that I might have some buffering issues. So please let me know if you're experiencing problems. Um, so the, the cultural weapon, the cultural issues of, you know, that explanation of different types of humans from different countries, if that's in reference to what I'm talking about, I still think that's different. Um, culture could be explained in that way, but if a who pack is in that category, then that logic sort of suddenly breaks and it becomes ancestry issues. Though you have an insane amount of weapons in here, which I think is also really cool. Okay, so as far as, uh, which I have no idea why you'd have those, but if you want to play them, they're in it, which is awesome. So they have tons of different races for you to play and stats and everything like that. Now, one thing that I noticed when I was reading through all the different races and some of their benefits is that some races get one stat increase, some races get two stat increases, some races get three stat increases. And I understand you need to balance this specific race amongst the other races. I don't, I don't know enough about 5e 
to understand why those decisions were made, but they were things that just caught my eyes all. I didn't know, I just today finished reading the section in the um, Dungeon Master's Guide because I read the last third and I'm going back to read the first third of it in my progress of jumping around reading it in preparation for my coming 5e Shadow of the Dragon Queen game. And the way they handled the Orders of High Sorcery and the different Orders of Knights, I thought was amazing. They used the faction system rather than tying it to feats or backgrounds. And that changes the dynamic completely in a very Dragonlance-specific kind of way, but also just in a game mechanics way, it makes infinite more sense. I mean, the faction system in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition is really interesting and it's totally open to interpretation and mages of high sorcery i think is a big ball of garbage personally um that being said i'm noticing like massive drops in my uh frame rates what the heck is going on i don't know what's happening i hope you guys can still pay attention on this um okay what else uh, the cultural weapons, there's a whole bunch of, like, totally tons of different weapons and stuff. They talked about different regions for different species as well. The dwarves have a ton of different subspecies, which I thought was uh, really great to highlight. Um, and I never noticed, like, you know, in the back of my head, I always knew there was more subspecies of dwarves than any other race. But when you see it laid out, it's it's pretty surprising that there's that many subraces of dwarves. Like... Shocking that Dragonlance has that many, but only four, five of elves, um, two basic classes of humans. <laughs> you know, you have your primitive and then your your civilized. So that was a little bit. It's not their fault. That's Dragonlance just being Dragonlance, which sometimes can be a little quirky. Thought it was a little quirky. Hey, Travis, thanks for joining live. Uh, Tesselhoff does make a few comments throughout. So the paper note as the conveyance device of Tasselhoff's thoughts, I thought was kind of pointless. Tasselhoff would literally just write in the margins. You know, he would, he, if he could, he would move text around to force his thoughts in there in his own handwriting. I, having the conveyance of like a, almost like a sticky note, basically, um, to be the, the conveyance format. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really think he needed it, but I did enjoy his remarks uh, for the most part. Um, so the, uh, Pantheon of Kryn, how can you go wrong? You give brief synopsis of these and you tie it into the gaming system. Works perfectly. They did a great job. Um, they're dealing with ambient magic of Kryn is the first time that I had to then go back and think about the ancestors again, or the races again. Because again, when you're talking about Dragonlance, the, the history of Dragonlance is incredibly important. If you're in the age of might, available types of classes and races are going to be restricted. If you're in the age of despair, same thing, going to be restricted. If you're in the age of mortals, it's much more open and available to everything just due to the second cataclysm, the chaos war, and uh, the emergence of uh, mysticism and sorcery. So I thought that uh, they did a wonderful job of explaining the different types of magic and how that applies to your different characters, but I didn't really notice anything that spoke to restrictions and eras of play. And that's something that is incredibly important. Like, the fact is, is there are eras of play in, in almost the entire Age of Might. If you're a wizard, 
you're going to be hunted down by the good guys of all insane things. The King Priest of Istar has an entire lost battles that happened of destroying uh, the orders of high sorcery's towers of high sorcery. Um, and so in certain eras, different classes are seen in different ways. And I would have loved to see a little bit more of that. It didn't have to be long, just a couple sentences explaining the restrictions and why. I understand that you don't want to put restrictions on what players do, but the fact is, is Dragonlance has built in restrictions and that's what makes it special. That's part of the reason why Dragonlance is so amazing is because you can't just have anyone show up at any given time and do anything they want. The restrictions also aren't just there to hurt players' feelings. They're there to encourage role-playing and depth of setting. And when that's absent, you just come into this, again, as a new player without any history of background, if you don't know, then you're like, okay, well, I want to play a tarmac in um, the Age of Might or the Age of Dreams. Let's roll this up. It doesn't make any sense <laughs> at all, you know? I mean, you, as a good DM, you can work it together, of course, but most players are rules as written. And so if they see it on the page, they're going to try to play it in the game. Um, without that context, I think is incredibly important. In the same way, in War of the Lands, you should not have any sorcery. Full stop, doesn't make any sense, don't do it. In the Age of Dreams, yeah, sure. In the Age of Mortals, yeah, sure. Age of Might, Age of Despair, no, it doesn't make any sense. So there are times, and even in the Age of Despair, priests being gone, um, magic users being hunted and not trusted, Knights of Salamnia not being trusted and hunted, depending on the age of, you know, that 300 year plus time gap for the uh, Age of Despair. These eras define style of play and immersion. And again, without showing that, it, it becomes a bit of an issue. But I love how they explained how to incorporate 5th edition characters, classes, and ideas of magic with Dragonlance. One thing that Dragonlance Nexus has always done that I've ever been able to tell um, is go for inclusiveness rather than exclusiveness. And from a game supporting platform, I think it's the only way that you can actually do it and so it makes perfect logical sense that they they do it this way and they've always done it this way and that that's what makes them the best at all this stuff um and so you know you always have to call out the good with some of the critiques so that's what i'm you know i gotta tip my cap to them for doing that um i would never have been able to do what they did with this i would never have tried because it's again it comes down to writing and playtesting and they did a phenomenal job writing this thing, uh, everyone that was involved. So it goes into some of the magical weapons and items, but they're as detailed as you're going to get out of like Dragonlance Adventures, which the ones that they show, you know, they're, they're fine. They're good. They're, they're the key magic items of Dragonlance, you know, more artifacts than magic items in most cases. For example, the Blue Crystal Staff or the Bright Blade. So these are things that not every player is ever even going to see in a campaign, let alone ever in a game. But knowing that they exist and knowing what the mechanics are, that's fine. I personally probably would have just left them out because they're already statted out in different places. And because you're never really going to run across a blue crystal staff in a game unless you write the adventure for it, in which case you could include it then, 
didn't need to be in this. Um, Creatures of Ancelon, again, another one that I thought, is there really a reason for this? They statted out Draconians differently, which I actually prefer their version of Draconians than, um, than, uh, than uh, Wizards of the Coast's version of it. So that was awesome. You know, they again, Dragonlance Nexus does a really good job with caring about the history of the IP. Draconians were created for a specific reason. They weren't evolving into Dragonborn. Like they, you know, they're they're there for one reason initially as shock troops for the dragon armies. Full stop. That's it. That's the only reason they existed. So to then focus on that aspect of it and stay true to how they look and how they feel, I think is incredibly important. And they did it wonderfully. Um, some of the other, you know, creatures, I just didn't think there was enough Dragonlance specific creatures to really warrant that section in here. I would love to see another splat book in the future if you guys ever have the time um, to really dive into some of the wonderful creatures uh, of, uh, that are specific to Dragonlance. Like all I did... When I did my uh, Creatures of Kryn, Lost Creatures of Kryn, and more Creatures of Kryn series of videos, was initially look through the original DL adventures. And then, like, they statted out tons of different creatures that were hyper-specific to the module, but it also meant that it was hyper-specific to Dragonlance. And there's a bunch of them. And so, you know, we get to see a wonderful little, um, uh, I don't know, a... Uh, a little slideshow of the different statted out creatures that are hyper-specific to Kryn, for example, Ogre Titans. But how many times have any of you run into an Ogre Titan? When, in contrast, Skeletal Knights. You know, they were just statted out by Watsi, but as far as I had heard, they hadn't been statted out or statted out by anyone else up until then for 5th edition. So that would have been a great one to include as well. Um, only if you wanted it different than what they had already statted. So little thoughts like that are what I'm going through as I read this. Um, again, just being hypercritical, not saying anything negative about what they're doing because I do think that they did a wonderful job. The River of Time is the next section. And this is the one where I already spoke to this, where they, they did a great job of really distilling the entire River of Time into this wonderful flow of, of information that doesn't hang too hard on any one moment or event. Um, and then they included arguably too much in it, which is where I was going with, if you're new to this campaign setting and you're reading that River of Time, you're just gonna be like, I don't understand. What, what are the most important events? Give me those. As a new player, I think that would have been a better approach. I don't think this was written for new players. I think the entire purpose of this, and they explain it in the, the foreword about the, the real focus of this was the components, as I'm reading it verbatim here, the components that make Dragonlance special, that feel like Dragonlance, and for the most part, carry those warm, fuzzy memories of Dragonlance. And so as far as that being the modus operandi for writing this, they did a great job. They did perfect. It's just, if you don't know anything about Dragonlance, it can be a little overwhelming, um, a little bit too much uh, for those beginners. But then you could always go to their website, dragonlancenexus.com, or check out some of my videos, and it'll explain everything for you. <laughs> Problem solved. Um, and then it goes into the geography of Ancelon. This is such a difficult task. 
to undertake because the geography changes throughout time. If you're presenting all of the different ancestries, as, as you phrase it, that are perpetual and era-specific, if you're presenting all of the river of time for those separate eras, the geography doesn't really address that aspect of it, at least not as much as arguably I think it should. And, and I only say that because you never know what era of play people are going to be using this for. If they're using it for pre-cataclysm, well, then the world is going to be dramatically different. And some of these locations won't even exist in the way that they're presented. If you're playing a game in um, the beginning of the Age of Mortals, where the dragon overlords are in control, well, then it's going to be wildly different than what's written here. So this is hyper-specific, in my opinion, to the Age of Despair and to the late Age of Mortals. That being said, they did a wonderful job writing up all of the disparate kingdoms and regions and um, locations on Kryn. Some that I would never think to write about because they're just not important to me personally, which is why I should never do anything like they're doing. <laughs> you know, I mean, for example, they, they have a whole section on Estwild. Well, yes, that is an important region of Kryn that has significant mo uh, moments during the War of the Lands, uh, after the War of the Lands, during the Blue Ladies' War. Like, that is an area that is really important. But if I'm thinking about the places I need to write about, I would never have thought about that. Blood? No, I would have never written about Blood. And in fact... I don't know that anyone else says it like that, even though they have the little umlauts, which tell you how to say it. Um, but yeah, like the, they did a great job with this. I mean, everything all together. And there's even a map of Anselon at the very back, which is not a reused map that I know of. Um, it's original to this, which is more accurate than the um, uh, Wizards of the Coast map, even though I do think the, the Wizards of the Coast map is a beautiful map. Like, their map is just detailed and wonderful. I, I wish I could, like, share this with you guys on the screen, but I didn't ask, and, it, you know, it's just not possible at the moment. Um, that being said, if you really just want a great-looking map of Ancelon, here it is. It's, it's in the back of this book. It looks great. It has every tiny little detail that you could ever want from it. So um, my hat's off. All right, so um, what I loved about this the most, uh, the Tasselhoff's map, I'm sorry, Tasselhoff's pouches of everything revised. I, I love the amount of information they distilled down to a small, just over 100 pages. I mean, that's, they gave an overview of an entire campaign with an entire world history with very hyper-specific races and classes and introduced a whole new faction system. Tons of monster stats that are hyper-specific to Dragonlance. I mean, you can't ask for anything more than when it comes to how do I play Dragonlance in 5th edition? This answers that question full stop. My critiques, notwithstanding, they're not bad enough to warrant me not wanting to use this in a game. Like, it's... It's great, and the, the best part of all that is all of my stupid little critiques are things that either can be immediately fixed or added to with other supplements. So they're not really bad things at all. Um, I don't know. Ultimately, you know, my final uh, review uh, sort of rating, 
I think this is four and a half plates of Odex spiced potatoes out of five. Uh, I think this did a wonderful job for Dragonlance fans in order to play Dragonlance in fifth edition. It's a little less clear for non-Dragonlance fans or new Dragonlance fans in order to play Dragonlance in fifth edition. Um, and that's where I landed on it. So I, I do want to thank Dragonlance Nexus so much, not just for tuning up in the chat, you guys are awesome, but for providing me the opportunity to give you my review. Um, I would like to think that you expected me to give you critical review uh, based on the stuff that I've done in the past. And that's the only way I can be honest. You know what I mean? I don't want to blow smoke up anyone's butt. And I want to make sure that people who should go out and buy this on the 6th from DMs Guild know what they're going to get into and who it's most for. Now, that being said, if you are new to Dragonlance and you do want to play Dragonlance in 5th edition, I still think this is a better option. Infinitely better than what Wizards of the Coast has presented in Shadow of the Dragon Queen. Seriously, it is better. The faction system alone is makes this entire book worth it. I had never considered using a faction system in Dungeons and Dragons until I read this book, and then I went over to the Dungeon Master's Guide and read it, and the wheels started turning. It's 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 beautiful. It's amazing. I mean, you could extrapolate it that same idea the way that's been implemented in this book into thief organizations in Palanthus, for example, into mariner organizations from Aragoth to the Blood Sea Isles. Um, you want to extrapolate it out even to the Minotaur League over in Talidas if you want to go up and explore some really crazy places uh, on a different continent on Kryn. That same system, just take what they've done and just reword things and it works perfectly in other areas. So I, I think that is uh, the most innovative part of this because ultimately how do you how do you deal with the the orders of high sorcery with the orders of knights otherwise and i think that the way that watsi did it was it was giving up it was like we don't really want to deal with it so let's just make it a background and they can use feats to advance well that's that's giving up that's hollow that's that's weak role play this stuff i mean just the fact of the, the test of high sorcery, you know, once you get to third level as a wizard and you want to um, advance spell casting, if you don't take the order, you will be hunted and killed. If you, um, if you don't take the test, if you do take the test, then you are now part of that fraternity, that faction of order of wizards. There has to be some sort of benefit to that and way to raise yourself in those ranks. And that was addressed the way the Watsi did it. They were just like, well, we have to have an order of high sorcery of some sort. So let's just... Call it mages and be done with it. And that's it. That's it. There's nothing else to it. It's frustrating. It has nothing to do with the moons. Nothing to do with the, the different orders. It's just like, hey, if you're an evil character, you're a black robe. And that's the extent of it. Lazy. This does it well. It's thought out. It's worthwhile. And tracking the moons actually has purpose again. So track those moons. <laughs> All right. That's all, uh, that's all I have for it. Congratulations to Dragonlance Nexus for putting this together. Comparing it uh, side by side to uh, the original Tasseloff's pouches of everything. Um, it is an improvement in a lot of really wonderful ways. 
from the editing to the layout to the artwork to the mechanics, uh, I think this is a wonderful addition to anyone's Dragonlance shelf, and I highly recommend you check it out. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. That is going to do it for this review of Tasselhoff's Pouches of Everything Revised by Dragonlance Nexus. Again, it'll be available December 6th, I believe, on dmsguild.com. So definitely go pick it up as soon as it's available. Uh, but that is it for my review. I hope you guys have a fantastic week. I would like to remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel. Click the bell to get notified about any upcoming videos and click the like button. It all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. And this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga. And I thank you for joining me in the celebration. This has been Adam with Dragonlance Saga. Until next time, Slangevar.